Hi everyone and happy Labor Day weekend. Welcome to How to College for First Gens, where we share the narratives of fellow first gens and get a real glimpse as to what it's like to be a first generation student. For those of you tuning in for the first time, our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about the first gen experience, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges we've experienced by sharing lessons learned from fellow first gens. I am Luce, one of the podcast co-hosts and a first generation student myself. This month, we'll be highlighting different aspects of the college process and applications. For today, we dive into the topic of study abroad. Although usually not as rigorous or intense as applying to college, studying abroad requires applications and preparation. Taking part of your academic journey to a whole new country can be a daunting, but also very exciting experience. Our guests today feature a current study abroad advisor who breaks down some of the common questions to help students take that first step towards figuring out how to even go about studying abroad. She shares about her own experience studying abroad in France. Our second guest shares her experience partaking in multiple short abroad programs and completing a graduate degree completely abroad. Join us today as we explore our guest stories of how they went about going abroad and why, how it's impacted their trajectories, and the tips that they offer fellow first gens who want to know more. Our first guest today is Yahara, who spent time abroad in France and is now a study abroad advisor at Rice University. So Yahara, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, I'd love to. So my name is Yahira. I grew up in Houston. My parents are from Mexico and I'm first gen. I attended Rice University with Luce uh, and I studied psychology and French studies. And while I was at Rice, I studied abroad for a semester. And then I taught English abroad after I graduated both in France. Yeah, in terms of my experience in college, I really enjoyed it and I was pretty involved. And I think overall, it was a pretty positive experience and I still keep in touch with a lot of the people that I met at Rice. Well, you know, one thing that I always heard when like Rice would visit like my high school was about their study abroad. And I think that's where I first learned about the whole term. It was this like buzzword that other kids would like ask about. They'd be like, oh, so like what kind of study abroad opportunities does your college offer? And so Rice always like had this really great answer and stuff. So what about you? Like when did you first find about like what the study abroad concept is? And when did you first think about it as like a potential avenue for you? Yeah, so I studied French starting in middle school. So kind of the idea of going to France kind of started at that time. But the idea of study abroad, again, the props go to my sister because she studied abroad when she was in college. And she, again, we were very different. So she studied German. I studied French. And she went to Vienna for a semester. So that's kind of where I had the best understanding of what study abroad was. Like, And I think in high school, our teacher talked about it, but I didn't really understand the concept until my sister went. And I was obviously like, well, I'm not going to Vienna, but I know I'm going <laughs> to study abroad. Uh, so before I got to college, I was already telling my parents, you know, you let her go abroad. So I should be able to go abroad. And so I already went into it knowing I wanted to study abroad and I continued taking French classes. And like I mentioned, I was, I studied psychology and French studies, but going into college, I didn't even think about graduating with a degree in French studies. It just, I took so many classes that I ended up getting it. And so more so like once I, once I was in college, you know, the 
in our classes, our professors would talk about study abroad. And then the French department did a really great job of kind of promoting study abroad and talking about programs. And that's how I found out about the program I ended up doing. And they also had a lot of opportunities for scholarships and aid. So that was kind of the biggest parts. And then I obviously I went to the study abroad office and kind of figured out what the process was like. And it was actually, you know, something that was achievable and manageable. So that's kind of my process. Yeah. So th- since you were planning on going to France and obviously you were taking French classes, is, was there like a specific timeline that you wanted to like make sure you went and did study abroad at that time? Like when you felt like you knew enough French to get by or how did that like go into a country where it's not your native language? How did that affect your decision? Yeah, I was very scared about the language part of it because I did take um, some of my, or all of my courses were in French and two, like half of them were at an actual like French university. So that was really daunting. So I was, you know, officially at this 300 level, which is high enough to be able to take the courses abroad, but it's still, you still doubt yourself, I think, and you question whether you are actually capable of taking courses because then that affects your GPA. It affects your academic trajectory. But I was encouraged by my advisor and they said, you know, no, if you if you meet this requirement, you are okay. But yeah, it did take some adapting. <laughs> but and also, once you're there, you're exposed to the language, you kind of improved your language without even really realizing it. So if I had stayed at the level where I was when I went into the program, it would have been really difficult, but I got better as I was there. So that's, I think, really what helped me. But it was scary. And I, I do get that those questions from students. And I, you know, I can only speak from my experience. And I can't say exactly whether you will feel 100% confident uh, once you're there. Some students feel confident before they go anyway and other students feel less confident but they have those requirements for a reason in place and some programs even in France you don't have to speak the language it just for me it made sense because I'd been taking it so long for me to use it um, so it's not like just because you don't speak a language you can't go to a country or study abroad um, but that was just my personal experience gotcha so I guess it really depends on the specific program that you're doing and what those requirements may be. So different programs, I imagine, have a whole wide set of, of requirements. So what what was it like when you were choosing that program? And like, how did your program differ from like, what your regular college experience would have been at Rice during the time that you studied abroad? Yeah, it was very different. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, aside from the language, just the structure of the courses was very different. Um, And I was lucky enough, you know, I was taking French courses at Rice. So part of that was them talking to us a bit about the schooling system in France. So if you know, if you're going to a place where maybe they don't, they just speak English, or you maybe aren't told the schooling system beforehand, I would research it just to get an idea. And I think the US is always (laughs) always does its own thing, you know, like the metric system and the <laughs> they're always doing their own thing. So even in terms of like how they teach, it's, it's very different than most places abroad, um, where in the US, you have like, pretty constant check ins, like assignments, constantly, and you always have a lot of grades abroad, for the most part, 
it's a lot less grades and less assignments, but more responsibility on you to kind of keep up with the material, which for me was anxiety inducing. And so <laughs> that was something I had to kind of learn to adapt to. Yeah, basically, the the way that they teach classes, you have your lecture portion, and then you have a smaller group portion, at least in France. So that was very different than what I was used to in my courses back home. And also just you rice, I think is also just very different even within the US. So uh, I can't speak to other schools in the US, but uh, where I went to school in France, the community wasn't necessarily as tight knit. Uh, so that took a little bit more adapting to whereas when I was studying abroad, I really was able to focus on, you know, these are my courses, these are my classes, that's what I do at school. Uh, maybe you join like a club or something, but then you spend time really getting to know where you are. I had a host family, so getting to know them and ex really focusing on the things I really, really wanted to do. Um, and I think that's a metaphor for like life in the US versus life abroad as well. But yeah, so it took it took some adapting for sure in terms of the structure. It was very different than rice. But I learned things about myself through that process. And I did prefer the structure at rice in the end, but I learned a lot. And yeah, as I mentioned, like at rice, they taught us a bit about the schooling system, something else that you usually we'll see abroad is the grading is like harsher, which can be kind of a, a, it messes with your brain a little bit. But for example, in France, the grading system is out of 20. And they are, at least at Rice, they would tell us, yeah, no, 20, 20 is for God. Uh, 19 is for the professor. 18 is maybe the highest grade a student will get in the class. So you had to set your expectations. And actually, like a 10 out of 20 was still passing. So they were harsher graders. <laughs> they were harsher graders. But then, for example, if you're studying abroad, when you get your transcript, they will translate it into the equivalent of like an American grade. So even though like a 10 out of 20, you think like that's a 50. I think it's more like a C or something like that. Or I, I don't know exactly the how you translate it. But yeah, that, that was a big thing. And that's pretty universal, I think, for a lot of places abroad. And then you have less coursework or less assignment. So that was a, a big thing, I think. Huh, that's a very interesting experience. So it sounds like you definitely grew. And maybe that wasn't something you were expecting, like right off the bat that would happen, but it did. And it was sounds like a positive thing. So that's good. <laughs> and did you have a chance to really explore the place you were at? And like, did you feel culture shock while you were there? And how did you deal with that? Yeah, I feel like I did. And I didn't like I <laughs> because it's it can be overwhelming, right? This is a new place. And especially I studied abroad in Paris, which is, you know, a very touristic place. And uh, it's a big city. There's a, obviously a long, long list of things that you can do. So I didn't get through that whole list. And I was pretty bummed at the time that I hadn't. But I realize now like it, it would be impossible. And it means that I actually got to, you know, sit down and go to a cafe or walk around like I wasn't constantly like I need to get all these things done in this day. And I, I've gotten to go back. So that's one thing that I, I think is not possible. You can't do everything. And that's okay. Uh, and in terms of culture shock, I, <laughs> I did experience culture shock to a certain extent. And I, I mentioned at the beginning, I studied abroad for a semester and then I taught English abroad um, for that was like a school year. 
So I actually feel like I experienced culture shock slightly when I studied abroad, but then I experienced it to a whole nother level when I taught English. And I, it, I think it's because I had a stronger support system when I was abroad for a semester. Uh, I, you know, I, along with my family, I had my home, like my host university staff, my home university staff, the staff with my program. I had financial aid, scholarships, the host family. So it was hard, harder some days than others, but I kind of always had that little safety net. And one big thing I think when I was abroad for the semester was I, it did take me some time to adapt coming from somewhere like Texas or South, you know, the South and having family that's from Mexico, people tend to be a lot warmer. And in Paris, things are a lot more on the go. It's, it's similar to New York, New York City. Uh, so it's not just like, I think there's a stereotype that French people are cold or French people. And that's not the case. It's just it takes a little bit more time to like, get them to warm up, especially in a place where they're just busy. You know, they're not, their priority is not to open the door for you and smile at someone they don't know, but you get to know them. And, and you know, it's you, you develop, you do develop the relationships, but it takes a little bit longer. It's a little bit different than, you know, here. And so I do like clearly recall my first trip outside of France was to Madrid. And so it was kind of like a breath of fresh air because people, I felt a little bit more of a kinship and I got to speak Spanish. And so that was kind of a nice reset for me. But yeah, for sure, when I taught English, I experienced it very heavily. And and that's to say, you know, I had actually already been abroad for a semester. I don't know what how it would have been for me if I'd never been abroad before that. And so I had the like worst homesickness I've ever experienced in my whole life. I was pretty down. And I think a big part of it was just I didn't have support in the same way. I obviously had my family, but to a certain extent, you don't want to burden them, I guess is the word. You don't want to, you know, let them know how you're feeling. And but yeah, I mean, I, I was I was abroad for a lot longer, while also it was my first time experiencing life as an adult, quote unquote. <laughs> but you know, with the added hurdles of being in a new place with a foreign language, a different way of doing things, getting an apartment, paying bills, opening a bank account, learning how things are done in a country like, you know, with bureaucracy and things like that, all while doing a job that I wasn't trained for. Yeah, so. Yeah, that is so crazy. Yeah, I can't imagine having all of those different responsibilities and like being in a new place. And yeah, wow. Going abroad, if you can, while you're a student, you will have more support if you eventually want to go abroad again, or just even if you want to go on a trip later or whatever, a longer period of time, it, it is beneficial in that sense, for sure. Yeah, because I feel like studying abroad is just so much more different than if you're just going there on vacation, you're just getting like a whole different perspective, because you're living there, you're, you know, taking classes there. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, even if you had like just gone abroad, like it wouldn't have even compared, I'm sure. Yes, yes. And it, it becomes like a second home or like third home. I don't know however many times you go abroad. But um, because even I studied in Paris, but then I taught in the south of France. So even readjusting to a different French culture, that was different too. So yeah, it, it, it is definitely different than just going for vacation or a few days. Okay, so digging a little bit deeper into just how people even get to a new country, like what does the application process 
typically look like? And like, as a study abroad advisor, what kind of advice do you give to your students? Like, how early on should they be even thinking about, you know, starting the process with studying abroad? Yeah. So, in terms of the application process, we get this question a lot. If if the application process or, or getting into a program is like applying to college, and uh, it's not. It's not as uh, it's not as intense. It's not as competitive. There's maybe like maybe a, a handful of of programs or universities where it can be, you know, more competitive. Um, but overall, it's pretty manageable, especially if you start kind of thinking about it, doing it earlier rather than later. I think the biggest things I always tell students are going to be things that aren't really in your control so much. So like the recommendation, for example, um, we ask for one, not everyone will, but we do. And that is from like a professor that's taught you at Rice at least, and then kind of starting to figure out courses. For some students, it's pretty easy, pretty straightforward, or they're just looking for transfer credit, so they don't really need to have a conversation with anyone. And then for other students, depending on your major, it can be a lot more you know, work and more unknowns. So it, it will vary from student to student. Um, outside of that, though, I, I would say it's, it's manageable. And there are things that you can do ahead of time to make the process even smoother. I think for me, it was manageable, pretty easy. There was, I do recall clearly, like there was one thing that I don't know if I just <laughs> forgot or I didn't read the instructions properly, but I was almost late in submitting it and I had like a little panic attack or <laughs> a moment of panic, but I, it was okay in the end. And <laughs> but yeah, just kind of making sure you're reading instructions, doing things on time. I think the visa process, which comes after, that's not part of the application process. That's actually probably what I, I disliked the most before uh, going abroad. That was probably one of the most challenging parts. It was more challenging, at least for France, than um, some of the other parts of the application process. So that, yeah, for that, again, I just tried to plan ahead as much as possible. And that's kind of the the one of the biggest things that's your responsibility as a student because you're the one going abroad. So you're the one getting the visa. So it's kind of like a crash course for study abroad because you, um, <laughs> it's like one of the first challenges you encounter, but it's manageable. It's just always doing things earlier rather than later. Um, and then in terms of how early you can start the process. So there's kind of different parts of the process, right? There's getting in touch with the office or in some way. And then there's actually meeting with an advisor. So we always tell students meeting with the advisor or starting that application process, a good rule of thumb, because at every university is different. But I think a good rule of thumb might be the beginning of the semester when you're going to apply. So that means depending on the application deadline for your particular program or university. By the time you meet with the advisor, ideally you want to have a little bit of a plan at least or, or goals in mind of what you want to do. And then those resources and those people kind of help you get to that point. Yeah. And again, it, it varies by university. Like at Rice, you can't go freshman year. So don't like, you don't really come in to meet with someone unless maybe if you're thinking the summer, maybe your freshman year, but otherwise you're, you're still figuring out like yourself, right? You're figuring out what you want to study. You're figuring out what those goals might be. You change a lot in every year that you're in college, but those first couple of years, you may think you're wanting to do something and you change. And so give yourself some time to, to go through those changes and help. It helps solidify your goals. 
Yeah, so it sounds like the key point here really is if you're thinking about doing it, start early and maybe just meet with an advisor to see what your options are. Because I think, yeah, for a lot of students, maybe they haven't considered it. And when they go into the office, maybe they realize like, oh, like I can't fit it into my schedule. So maybe I can't do it or something like that. Right. Yeah. The earlier, the better. But yeah, I think at least holding off your first semester, just so you get acclimated to your own environment. Um, And again, different universities have different kind of guidelines or eligibility requirements. I think in some universities, you can go your freshman year, if maybe if that's like the best time for you or the only time, then consider it. But if not, I would, I would encourage you to wait a little bit longer so that you have your bearings and then And then you get to experience this completely new environment after kind of getting a little bit acclimated to your, your home environment. (laughs) So do you have to like go through the study abroad office if you're planning to do anything study abroad? Or can you directly apply to some of these programs? So how, how does that like application process work? Yeah, so I speak more specifically in terms of like study abroad. So there's also other opportunities to go abroad as well. There are so faculty led programming is still under study abroad. But for example, at Rice, the departments run their programs and you apply through them. There's also like volunteering abroad or, you know, fellowships or things like that, which don't actually go through our office. It is advisable to talk to your office and go through them. And, and usually, at least in our case, we've gone through the program list and really kind of vetted the programs that are there. And there are plenty of other programs that are available, but maybe, you know, they're cutting corners in places where you don't want them to cut corners or they're not really, they don't have a connection to your university. So if there's a problem, that communication isn't there or the transfer credit doesn't come back because there's an issue with the way that they run they process transcripts or things like that. So ideally go through university, but in the summer, there's a little bit more flexibility and students sometimes will find a program that, you know, in the summer we don't have because that list is so much bigger and we can't really hit all of the different uh, types of programming, but they may still go through our office and that's, it'll just depend on what program they're doing. But yeah, for a semester, I would highly advise that students go through their university because at least in the case for Rice, you do have to separate from the university. And then in that case, like if you're receiving financial aid, you don't get financial aid because you're not a student. Obviously, in the summer, it's a little bit different because you're not getting aid during the summer. But but it's same thing, like if you're going in the summer and you do, for example, receive a Pell Grant during the school year, you are eligible for aid from the school during the summer, but only if you are going through the office, for example. Or if you're applying to an outside scholarship, same thing. They might ask for the school to fill out something and we may not be able to do that if you're not going through us. So the ideal obviously is going through the university. But yeah, if you're doing something that isn't study abroad, it's not for credit, then sometimes that just you just apply for that separately. Um, But yeah, it's, it's nice to have the support of your school and then also things like health and safety and you still have access to the resources on campus even while you're abroad. So it is more beneficial. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think maybe that's something that students maybe forget about or maybe take for granted and then realize like, yeah, if you don't do it through your school, then that's no longer an open door. Um, so really glad that you brought that up. What are some other challenges that you have seen students face with, you know, getting through the application process and actually getting out and like going to another country to study abroad? 
Yeah, um, I think in terms of like challenges, I'll go back to saying, you know, the, the earlier you start, the better. Sometimes those applications are started very like last minute. And so even though you can put it together, not, not, it's not always, but if you can put it together, it's not going to be your best, you know, you're not putting your best foot forward. And I think the biggest thing for me is it doesn't leave a great impression on the people that you're working with, um, whether that's, you know, your advisor and work, you know, for example, if we have aid through our office, it's not going to leave a great impression if I'm, you know, considering students for, for like a grant for merit or whatever it may be. And also you're asking for a recommendation. You never want to <laughs> ask for a recommendation last minute because that's not a good look. And also, you know, professors are busy and you, you have to give them a certain amount of time and you may want a recommendation from that person again. So just thinking about those kinds of things that are not, you know, you may be thinking just, oh, I'm applying, like it's just, you know, on me. But there are other players in, in the process. So just kind of thinking about that. And then just in terms of first gen specifically, I think some challenges are going to be, you know, thinking about finances, thinking about your parents or your guardians and, and their take on it and having to, you know, explain to them and help them wrap their minds around the idea. I think that is a challenge that not every student is going to face, but I understand it and it happens. And so you, you have to try and get as much information and uh, look at as many resources as possible to, in terms of finances, like I mentioned, you know, semester is preferable because if you receive aid, it, it go with you or just making sure that you are really looking at what scholarship opportunities there are and being on top of that. And with parents, guardians, especially if you're first gen you know, you're, you're probably the first in your family or, or one of the first in your family to, to go abroad, to, to take classes or, or do some anything, whatever it is. So there will be, you know, sometimes those conversations are trying to convince your parents. I think in those cases, when a student asks me, I, I, I can kind of run through thing, big talking points that are helpful. And, you know, we have some resources as well. So if, if that's a concern, maybe talking to your advisor or looking on your, your university's website, or if maybe your university doesn't have a ton of information, there's plenty of other universities um, that have information on their website as well. And then I think just preparing like mentally for the experience, that's a big challenge. There will always be things that arise and you can't prepare for everything. That's impossible. Like going through all your, your things on your list of things to see, it's also impossible to prepare for every single scenario. And I think for some people, that's hard. Like you want to be ready for everything. You're a planner. It's it's impossible. There's going to be things that happen. And that's part of the process. And you really have to ride, you know, you're going to have a lot of highs, you're going to have a lot of lows, you really have to embrace both, you have to embrace the best and the most challenging parts of the experience. Don't try and fight it too much. <laughs> You're navigating a new culture, maybe a new language, a new school system. You might be missing home. There might be things that happen. And it's part, of, this is very cliche, but it's part of the growth. And everyone goes through it in some form. In the moment, it may seem like you're the only one that is going through it. But just preparing as much as you can, I think, is is all you can do. And, and doing research on, on your location. And But what do you think students can do 
once they get there to really make the most out of their experiences while they're abroad. Sometimes what I see with some students is if they have the means, they'll be traveling all the time, which is great. You know, maybe you're thinking, I won't get to come here for a long time, so I want to explore everywhere. But I think sometimes a big thing that they miss is getting to know that the place that they're actually in, like the city or the country that they're in. And that's a, a missed opportunity. I only did, I did just a couple trips when I was abroad for, for my semester abroad. So I really got to know like Paris and, and France, even because they, they would organize trips for us where we would see like the Loire Valley, the castles and different things like that, that are harder to get to, which was really nice. It's really just making the most of the resources that you have on hand. And and I think one thing that's a little bit difficult is there's going to be people at different like financial, I guess, statuses. I don't know what you would call it exactly. But like I said, some students are going to be traveling all the time. And maybe you can't. Or I mean, I, I think that can be hard for some students. I've, I've heard, you know, some students come back and say, well, everyone else was traveling, I, I couldn't go with them, or like they would invite me and I couldn't go. And I think it is definitely, it, it can be frustrating, or it can be a bummer <laughs> not to be able to do that. But taking the positive side of that and saying, well, actually, I'm going to really get to know the place that I'm living in. And, and that's really what makes it a second home or third home, whatever, you really feel like you, you've gotten to know the place that you're in. Um, so, you know, making sure that you have a good balance of those things and don't put too much pressure on yourself to do everything that you plan on doing. Cause like I said, you're not going to be able to do it. Um, but making the most of those experiences that you have and something that I think one other thing is just, you want to be in touch with people at home and you, you want to, you know, have that connection still, but don't stay too attached. Um, because if you're, you know, at home, just FaceTiming with family and friends all the time, and you're not getting out, um, then you, you'll regret that that side of things after the fact. And don't completely lose touch because my parents would have killed me. But, <laughs> but again, as a balance there. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Yahara, for joining us and telling us a little bit more about your own study abroad experience and what it's like to be a study abroad advisor and giving us a little bit of those nuances for students to keep in mind as they're planning their study abroad experiences. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Our second guest is Clara, who partook in shorter abroad experiences while in undergrad, but then did her master's completely abroad in the UK. Clara, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, Luz. Thank you so much. So uh, my name is Clara Martinez. I went to college at Linfield, where I studied political science and communication arts. I uh, did my master's at the London School of Economics. And right now, I'm in a mentorship program uh, designed for young professionals with a platform called ProFellow. So I'm the first person in my family to graduate from high school and college and get my master's. I'm Mexican-American. I am the proud granddaughter of a former Brasero. Very cool. Thank you so much for telling us a little bit about yourself. So before we dive into the whole study abroad topic, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what your experience was like going to college? Looking back, I think I was in such a sort of go, go, go mode that I don't think I fully 
took the time to sort of pause and sort of ask myself, what am I doing? <laughs> and so I think it was just, you know, in overdrive mode. And that experience, I mean, it feels slightly like a blur, to be honest. So I loved my college experience. Linfield is a private liberal arts institution in McMinnville. And I did everything from speech and debate to residence life to student government and Frederick Douglass Fellowship with the Department of Political Science. So all of those things were really enriching. And I think like most first-gen students wanted to sort of get experience and exposure beyond the classroom. I think we're all slightly kind of bookworms and we love learning for the sake of learning, but there's so much more beyond the, the four walls of a classroom that I think much of that was sort of motivating me to get good grades and to learn skills like public speaking. And I think that experience was, was great. So it sounds like you were pretty busy while you were in college. So where did you even find the time to think about studying abroad? Or when did it even become a concept that you were aware of? So the thing about the field is they, from the very beginning, I think it was an orientation, that, that orientation week made a, a plug for studying abroad. That was a main selling point for them. They covered your first round trip airfare to wherever you wanted to study abroad, whether it was a semester or a month. So I was fortunate enough to go to a school where that was the incentive. And I think a lot of um, universities and colleges do the exact same thing. You know, they're incentivizing their students to, to go abroad because I think colleges and universities, the administrators know how transformative those experiences can be. And so because, you know, a semester abroad may not have necessarily fit into my schedule at the time or into what I, you know, wanted to do, I did come across the, the Fulbright Summer Institute program. It was, it was very competitive. At the time when I was a participant, it was in its second pilot year. So from the very beginning, you know, the, the Fulbright staff were like, you guys are going to be our guinea pigs. So just sort of go along for the ride. And we did. And it was amazing. So the Fulbright Summer Program was in Wales, you know, this is sort of slightly obscure country in the UK. So I managed to actually connect with scholars who were familiar with the Welsh language, with the culture, through my own sort of networking with professors. And so, you know, I learned more about it, really refined my pitch for why I felt that this would be a great summer enrichment opportunity. And I was fortunate enough to work with the competitive and scholarship advisor at the time, Debbie Olson, whom I, I will never forget. So she had this sort of method where with every student who was interested in applying or who wanted to apply to any kind of Fulbright grant would need to meet with her and review the first draft of their application. And I think my very first draft uh, was okay of when, why I was sort of pitching myself to the program. But then she got me thinking about, you know, why, asked me all kinds of questions that, you know, had me rewriting the first draft all over again. And so um, had it not been for her guidance, for her working with me to really create a sort of narrative around why I wanted to do that, I don't know that I would have been as successful in, in the application process as I was. And so I also think that colleges and universities have these fantastic staff members whose job it is to, you know, help you shine. And so these sorts of programs, I know they can feel sort of out of reach or that we're not competitive enough, you know, for them because of our backgrounds or because of X, Y, and Z. And because I think I had a similar thought, I thought I'm not competitive for this. Had I just sort of written myself off, you know, I would have missed a really life-changing opportunity that's really set in motion the course of uh, my career. <laughs> so I, I cannot stress just sort of, you know, even if something because of its prestige or whatever seems out of reach, unless you don't put forth your story in, in an honest way and, and give it your best shot, there's no way to know. And 
And I think that 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 was the the, the motivation behind it was, you know, I, I really want to go abroad, I, I don't have, you know, the resources to do that or the time right now. And so finding a program that would be a good fit. And it just so happened that uh, this particular program was about three weeks in, in length. So I think since the the launch of the program, Summer Institute program, it's all in the UK, of course, but there are different, you know, for students who are interested in theater or who are interested in agriculture or politics, right? There's different programs out there. And so just looking into it and seeing if it's something that you'd be interested in doing is something I'd encourage uh, your listeners to, to look into. So I want to take a step back here and talk about like the different kind of study abroad because I think most students when you know they hear study abroad they're like oh like being abroad for like a semester or something but that was not the case for you during your college time so why don't you tell us a little bit more about some of those differences and like how that varies in terms of the structure of the program maybe the length and maybe like credit how does that compare to to this more traditional study abroad image yeah, definitely. So the two experiences I'll, I'll talk about is, is the Fulbright Summer Program in Wales and then uh, a Jan term, which is a month-long term in Italy and Greece. So for the for the Fulbright Program, I think I, I should stress that as a study abroad program, it's about as fancy and as much of, as like of a cushion as, as an undergraduate student could ever get. And, and I say that just because if you're flown out there, you have these university staff who are sort of ushering you from one place to the other and you're, you know, having dinners with diplomats and ambassadors, and you're going to embassy receptions. And so there's a, a component of it that's very sort of glittery and shiny and just very kind of elegant. And there's, it's, it's sort of, you know, high profile. And so in that regard, I, I don't know that I, I hesitate to sort of compare it to a traditional study abroad program, because if, when you go abroad, you're kind of on your own. <laughs> when you're, you know, studying uh, for a semester somewhere at a university, you know, I had a friend who did that. And uh, yeah, as we sort of compared notes, I thought to myself, yeah, no, there's, there's a, a pretty big cushion between, you know, having a, a program that sponsors you to go, uh, you know, abroad and, and pays for everything. And, you know, you're kind of taken care of from beginning to end and sort of a thing. You're still learning and there's great study abroad component to it, but you're with a cohort thing about the Fulbright program, uh, my, my cohort, there were eight of us total, and we were from all across the country. And I think the unique thing about the eight of us going to study in Wales, I don't think any of us would have ever crossed paths had it not been for this summer program. And so the fact that we were all so different and had so many, we were studying very different majors, and yet we all somehow came together based on this mutual interest in wanting to spend a summer in Wales. So I think that was a, a distinguishing feature as well. And we actually went to three different universities. So we studied at Cardiff, Bangor, and Aberystwyth. Uh, we studied politics. We took a class on you know, the Welsh language. And that is where I learned that there are just certain sounds that I cannot make <laughs> in a given context, just practicing the language. And so that was really fun to do that. Uh, we went, so, you know, sea level traversing, diving, you know, off a cliff into the Irish Sea, part of the sort of all encompassing immersion in the, the culture, the landscape, and um, just 
getting a feel for the country in, in the most holistic way possible. And so yeah, I think that that was slightly different. And it, it was, there was a, an academic piece to it as well. We wrote journal entries. And so while we could spend time in pubs, I also distinctly remember in the evenings sort of leaving a, a, a note in my little dorm room saying, guys, I'm at the library, don't wait up. At the end of the the program, uh, all of us received college credit for those journal entries and got a grade and everything. I don't remember that the credits transferred directly in terms of it affecting sort of one's GPA, but I think it was more having it show up on a transcript that you know I had studied at at these you know or at this university and and the credits would show up. And so, so, I mean, it was, a, there was a bit of a negotiation. I, I remember having to really push <laughs> for, for wanting that, um, those credits to transfer because I felt it was an important part of, of the experience. And I think had I not insisted with the university staff, both at my home institution and at the universities in Wales, I don't know that that would have happened. So it's all about, you know, advocating for the things that are important to you and, and doing so in a way that it, it makes sense why, you know, why you're asking for this particular credit to appear on your transfer. And so, yeah, so th- that's that experience. And the other uh, sort of non-traditional route, and, and I, I don't know how common this is across different universities, but there is a sort of month-long break uh, where you take sort of the month off. It's called January term. And some students take a class on campus, some go home. I chose to study, well, apply for a study abroad program, focus on theater and oratory. So studying, you know, ancient Greek and Roman or- and orators and spending two weeks in Italy and two weeks in Greece just sounded like the most wonderful <laughs> way to spend that that month. And the thing about this particular program as well is that it's, it was led by faculty members. And so you're essentially going with professors, you know, and your peers, right? So students, you know, as well. And so in that aspect too, I think there was a bit of a cushion with, you know, I was, I was going to take this class with a, perfor- a professor I knew, someone who was actually my faculty advisor with friends I had already been in class with. And so there was a sort of familiarity to it where we were sort of as a group going to explore Europe. That said, I think I sort of also want to stress the competitiveness of of these programs, even for the Jan term program. I remember having to draft up a thorough, like short answer essay of some kind to explain why I wanted to go because it's competitive. You know, they only have like 20 spots or so for students to go. And, you know, everyone, you know, who there's you're competing with theater majors and communications majors and intercultural, you know, majors who all would like the chance to go on this really awesome trip. And so they had uh, that and an interview process. And so um, I remember interviewing and having to pitch, you know, why I wanted to to go uh, to Italy and Greece and beyond the just who doesn't, you know, who doesn't want to go to Italy? <laughs> and who doesn't want to go to Greece, like, especially in the summertime for an off season, <laughs> you know? So I, I, yeah, I think that that uh, experience was was great. And in the end, you know, I do remember thinking, what am I going to do if, you know, if I end up not being able to go to the, to, to the program, but I think, you know, it worked out really well. And the the program itself was really, was really fun. This in terms of like, sort of the material we covered, there was, you know, we were essentially reading like the Theban plays, we were uh, studying Greek and Roman orators like Cicero, Demosthenes and Quintilian. To go back to your to your question about, you know, the traditional versus non traditional study abroad opportunities. I think if if it's something, you know, that students are, are have that itch to, to, to study abroad, um, they don't necessarily have to commit to 
a, a semester long program to do that. There are uh, shorter, you know, shorter term programs out there that are just as enriching, just as transformative. And it's just a matter of getting a bit creative and, and figuring out where you want to go and why you'd like to go there or what you would like to learn. And so, yeah, I think that there are definitely ways to, to make it happen. Yeah, definitely. And you alluded to this earlier, but some of these programs, like you mentioned, are pretty competitive. So two questions for you here. One, how did you find out about them? And then how did you fill out these applications? Like, did you have some help? And then two, what was the funding like to be able to go onto these programs? So the how um, I found out about them. So the the Fulbright Summer Program, I remember getting an email. <laughs> so there's no kind of complex story about that. I was just like, I got this email. They're like, it's fully funded to go to the UK. And I was like, great. I almost ignored the email thinking, I'm not competitive enough to even consider this. And then, you know, I slept on it and thought, well, you know what, I'm going to try. <laughs> Was this like an email from your school, from like maybe the study abroad office or just like your advisor or, or where did that come from? It came from the uh, study abroad and the competitive scholarship advising office. So yeah, so they sent out these sort of mass emails for all kinds of things. But I think because uh, Linfield has a bit of a reputation for its number of Fulbright grants and awards it's gotten over the years. Um, they, they make a, a point of making sure that they have students applying for these for these competitive programs. And with the theater and oratory, the Jan term class, I think it was the the, the professors uh, there had you know mentioned that they wanted to do a, a Jan term, and I thought, well, let's let's see what that's about and and apply for it. So the, the application processes, I do remember with the, the Fulbright Summer Program, it was quite extensive and an intensive process in terms of the editing and the writing, the revising, getting feedback from different faculty at different points throughout that process as well. And of course, um, having the, the support of the competitive scholarship advisor, Debbie, who was, again, a phenomenal advocate <laughs> and getting, getting students just to, you know, get the most polished version of their, of their application as possible. And uh, the same thing with the theater, you know, an oratory program. Uh, it was, it, I, I remember also going through a couple of different drafts and iterations of, of nailing the why and really pitching oneself to, to the faculty or to the selection committee. So the, the funding for both of those, I will say, was great for the Fulbright Summer Program. The only things I paid for out of pocket were maybe like souvenirs. So everything else was covered for, which is great. You know, when you're a, you know, a sophomore in college, you don't have a, you don't have a ton of money to go off of. But uh, and for the theater and oratory class, that too, that you know, my round trip airfare was covered. And I think the only thing I paid for was the the credit of of the class, which was maybe like a thousand dollars at the time. I don't know what that looks like now because that was you know quite a few years ago. But yeah, also the funding we had like money you know, uh, for meals that the school provided or the program provided. And so it was a pretty sweet setup. Looking back on that, I think, you know, in terms of the funding, it was, it was like there was, you know, there was a uh, an abundance of, of funding. And <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's kind of yeah how that worked. So were all of these done in English since you were going to all of these countries where you maybe didn't know the language. Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. Yep. And is that maybe the case for most of these programs where you're going to countries where you may not be speaking the language? 
I think it, it probably depends on the program for the, so for the study abroad experiences in college. Yeah. All of that was in English. My uh, graduate school program in the UK also was all in English. And I think that was uh, by design. I, I mean, granted, I mean, they spoke English of course, but then you have the little, the, the slight variations in the UK accent and different sort of, there's a there's differences between American English and British English <laughs> that I can't stress enough. Okay, well, shifting gears a little bit now to your grad school stuff. So you did all of that in London. So what was that experience of like just the whole thing being in another country? Like, did you have culture shock? Was it completely different from your other shorter experiences? What was going through your head as you were, you know, starting this program out? And how did it go? One of the highlights of my academic careers is definitely grad school. I loved reading, thinking, and talking about geopolitical theory for a year. And I think I was just so excited to be continuing on this path of an international education, right? And so, yeah, that year out there was intense and it was just it was I don't think I could have prepared myself for the the culture shock um, I had you know I, I had already been to Wales as an undergrad before and that had been you know some years prior but going back was really was really great um, and to actually be in the heart of London was a phenomenal experience I remember you know I'd be walking to class and just look up and think holy crap I'm in London and and just let you know sort of what I was thinking and then you know I'd sort of go into the, one of the local libraries or like the Senate House Library and, and, you know, hunker down and read from like eight in the morning until like nine o'clock at night. Like those were sorts of the, the days, you know, as, as a grad student, you know, I, I joke with friends who I'd meet up with, you know, they'd ask me what I had seen in London. And, you know, I'd say, well, you know, I've seen the inside of these libraries really well. I mean, these buildings have pieces of my soul in them. So, um, but London itself, I haven't really spent a lot of time seeing. And they'd be shocked because I had already been there for like six or eight months. And they'd be like, well, what are you doing? It's like, I've, you know, it's very different when you're going to on a trip to hit up London and see all the iconic things versus, you know, versus studying this intensive year long program but I think that um, toward the end I did get to see some of the some of the iconic stuff but I think the thing about studying as as an international student in the UK is there's there was this whole adjustment period of British higher education system being unlike anything I had ever experienced right and bringing in that sort of American perspective and adjusting to how things are graded I remember even for the classes um, at the London School of Economics there were core required classes, and then there were elective classes. And for the elective classes, they made those competitive as well. So you had to submit a sort of essay for why you wanted to take an elective course. And then the professors would select maybe 10 or 15 students that would be allowed into the program. So also, I remember at the beginning, sort of feeling a sense of panic, because I thought, you know, I've taken out the student loan, and I may not be able to get, you know, you know, I, I got this flight and I'm in the UK and I may not be able to take the classes that I had wanted to, to take just because of how competitive it is. I, I was fortunate to get into 
into my elective courses, my first choice of, of, of courses, because I did spend a lot of time, I, I wrote these like two paragraph long rationale for why I really needed to get into these classes. Well, so I think, you know, I made quite a persuasive case. And at that point, you know, when you have a lot writing on on an experience like that, you you have a you know, tendency to, to give it your best shot. And so I I did those things and I was able to, to take classes on American Grand Strategy and histories of American imperialism. With all of your different study abroad experiences, what were some of the challenges that you faced? And now that you have done them, like, is there anything you would have done differently, knowing what you know now? Yeah, you know, I think there there isn't anything I could I could say that I would do differently. And I think part of it is I, I looked out with the programs and really clear eyed about what was motivating me to apply and then go through with these programs. But yeah, I think if if anything, I would maybe change the pace at which I was moving <laughs> or doing things slightly. I think I definitely got the most out of those experiences. And I think that one of the reasons why studying abroad is so transformative and why it's such a wonderful experience is because it really pushes you outside of your comfort zone in ways that you can't even anticipate until you've done it, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why I've advocated, you know, with the students I've worked with in the past, uh, in a, you know, in a previous job, or when I'm advising even friends or students now in, you know, informal ways or, or mentoring them, I do always sort of make that plug for studying abroad. And, and I think it is precisely because I, I think those experiences were so transformative for me that had I not, you know, spent that summer in Wales or gone to Italy and Greece for a month, or even, you know, I don't think it would have set me up to even consider, you know, doing a master's country like the UK, or doing, you know, a summer program in Geneva. Once your mind has kind of been broadened in that way, and once you've put yourself out of your comfort zone in that way, there's really no going back. Any useful tips that you could offer to other students that are thinking about doing any sort of studying abroad programs or, you know, semesters? I I think it's important to take advantage of connecting and meeting with the staff at, you know, your university or college whose job it is to help you because they want to help you succeed and the I think most universities and colleges have like a study abroad or a competitive scholarship office of some kind and they're always promoting you know their programs and opportunities they are the folks who have the insider tips to help you shine as an applicant and it requires quite a bit of back and forth and your applications to studying abroad the first draft isn't going to be the draft you submit it might be the fifth or sixth draft and that's okay and i think also it's easy to get caught up with the different feedback you'll get from different people and i think it's important to remember that at the end of the day no one is going on the experience for you so it's important to trust your gut and because I remember thinking, um, particularly with the, the Fulbright Summer Program application, I got so much feedback and was sort of inundated with, you know, comments and suggestions for revisions. And it got to a point where I had just too much feedback <laughs> and I had to kind of reorient myself and think, all right, so let me just make sure I'm putting my best foot forward that this is, you know, the, the best reflection of my desires, my motivations, you know, my meditations on on you know what's inspiring me to to want to do this in the first place 
and then um, just sort of stick to that that guiding principle. So I yeah, I think that that's important to keep in mind because it, it is pretty uh, pretty easy to ca- get caught up in in other you know feedback and the editing process. But you know after a few drafts and after you've worked on it for some time, you'll know when it's when it's polished and ready to send off and then, you know, cross your fingers and, and just, you know, resting in the confidence that, that you gave it the best you could and letting sort of fate <laughs> kind of take it from there and, and figure out uh, the best, the best opportunities out there for you. And I think part of it too, is keeping a sort of roster of the different programs. I mean, I, I think people like talking a lot about the things that they do get into, of course, the things that, you know, they're accepted into, but I also think there's, the sort of unspoken element of things that we don't get into, right? The number of rejections that experience, you know, I've had my fair of fair share of rejections over the course of my career, and it just helps orient, you know, and, and guide one's own career and one's own interests and, and passions and, and whatever else. So yeah, I think uh, just trusting your gut and, and trusting yourself and following that call to adventure if that's, uh, and whatever that looks like, you know, for everyone is a little different, but yes, definitely. Definitely. Those, I think those would be the, the, the few bits of advice I could share. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Claire. And thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast and sharing a little bit about your experiences and just really great advice and tips about studying abroad. It sounds like they were definitely transformative for you and, and definitely left, left a mark on, on your journey going forward. So really glad to hear it. Really glad that it all worked out and you had a great time. Thank you so much. As you've heard from our guests, studying abroad is a transformative experience that allows you to grow in ways you couldn't have imagined. It can open up your world to expose you to different ways of doing things, new cultures, and new languages. To take advantage of these opportunities, though, it's important to apply and prepare early so that you can put your best foot forward in the applications and help guarantee that spot in a program abroad. Although the process can feel out of reach at times, Our guest explains that it can be a very manageable thing, and as first gens, we often have unique stories that can set us apart and add value to any program. So if you've ever considered the possibility of studying abroad, take that first step today to learn more. Thanks again to our speakers, and thank you for tuning in today on How to College for First Gens. For more information about this episode, check out our website at howtocollegefirstgen.org. If you prefer to reach us on social media, you can find us at How to College First Gen on Instagram and Facebook and HTC First Gen on Twitter. We'd love to hear about your own experience, what you think, what you're struggling with, or how we can help. Remember, you are not alone in this journey. Until next time. <laughs>